Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter. There, you may have noticed the, the last uh, segment there on our presentation. A man was blowing into a horn, and we panned, and you saw a mountainside there across the way, and that's how they warn people, warn people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the wrong word. When they notify people that it's time to get ready and go to church, because they don't have electricity, they don't have alarms, they don't have clocks, so they don't know what time to start going. Some people hike two hours uphill just to go to church. Just to go to church. That means two hours downhill. I don't know which one's harder, going uphill in the rain or downhill in the dark. I don't know, um, both of which are quite a challenge to me. But it's amazing to me just their hunger for the things that they do not have. The very things that you give, that you have, that God has given you, are the very things many people are starving for. The people who would die just to know for sure that they are saved. To know how to save their loved ones, how to provide heaven to be their home someday. The things that we take for granted sometimes, and even our heart, I dare say, can grow cold to, are the things that people are dying without. And it breaks my heart to know that there are so many people who are interested in the things of God, and yet there are none that are going to them. Uh, I'm very excited um, just to share a little fellowship with Pastor this morning, uh, just to know that um, just talking to him, you learn something. You know, you always pick something up, and I, I appreciate that even in, in my own uh, ministry. I know uh, our time together has been blessed, and I'll take some things away from our conversation. Uh, but knowing that you have a coming beating, uh, a Bible conference coming up, to know that we have the King James Bible in our language for 400 years. Even if I wasn't a Baptist which I am, to say I have the heritage of having the Bible in my language for 400 years is amazing, absolutely amazing. Today my preaching may be a little bit different than what you're used to, kind of like my, my wife's eating habits are different than mine. She can eat a steak without putting anything on the steak. She doesn't put any sauce on it, no barbecue, A1 sauce. She says you're going to ruin the flavor of the steak. If it's a good steak, it should taste like a steak, amen? And I think whatever kind of steak it is, it should taste like A1, amen? I mean, just put it on there, lather up, let's go to town. My preaching's a little bit like that. I'm going to give you the meat of God's Word today, and it may be simple to you, it may be something you've heard, but it's going to be God's Word, and I hope it's a blessing to you. I know God blesses uh, everybody I know by God's Word, and if you're prepared, if your heart and mind is ready, I know God is willing to speak to you and, and ready to speak to you this morning. Uh, I wish I could be here at that Bible conference this week. I'm telling you, I, covetousness is not a good thing. So I'm going to need to pray before I preach. Amen. If you were to look at a globe today and to be able to put a light in every language that has the Bible, you'd probably see only 3,000 lights when there should be 6,000. Half of the world's languages do not have God's word in that language. That's almost as disturbing to me to know that people live and die never hearing the gospel. If people get saved, that is wonderful, and I believe God gets the glory in that. But what is it like to be saved and not to live for God? I have a testimony, and I'll get into it just a moment here so you can become a little more familiar with myself. But if you're saved and you're not living for God, you know you're not content. You know you're not glorifying God, and people may even blaspheme the name of God because of your testimony. The most important thing for us to do after salvation is to live for God. It's going to be the basic underlying thought of the message this morning, and we're going to talk about being a priesthood, the priesthood of the believer. I read, uh, I picked up Pastor's book, and I'll go ahead and push that book since I haven't written any. <laughs> Buy that book. It's a great book. Talking about the distinctives of the Baptist faith. 
In his book, he goes on to say that that actually protects our faith from apostasy. It protects our faith from apostasy, and it's absolutely true. He said this morning, you couldn't be a Baptist without a Bible, and I'd never heard that before, and that's absolutely true. But we're going to learn about the priesthood of the believer. The reason I believe in Bible translation, the need for Bible translation is, number one, discipleship. Number two, the priesthood of the believer ought to live as a priest. Secondly, individual soul liberty. You're going to be accountable to God someday for everything you say, do, and think. I think you should know the rules of the game here. What God's going to judge us by, what he's going to hold us to, I want to know that. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2. 3,000 languages without the Bible. 6,000 people groups without the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them, which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made a head of the corner, and a stumbling stone, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word." being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Look in verse 9 here. But ye are a a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for another day, Lord, to just share your gospel, to open your word, Father, to read it, to proclaim it. Lord, I do ask your blessing. I pray you'd use me as your mouthpiece this day, Father. Lord, I pray you would touch the heart and minds of every person in this room. And Lord, I pray your fa- uh, just your word would be effectual this day. Lord, speak through your message today, Father. I know you've laid it on my heart. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Very quickly, if I could explain to you my upbringing and what my testimony is, and then I can begin even starting to tell you how precious that book is to me, because that's essential to anything you read out of this book. If you regard it as any other book, it's just going to be that. People, even uh, literary, as people review it, they say that is one of the most unique, special books in all the history of the world, not even believing in it as the Word of God. I was raised by my mother, and uh, my mother and my father were never married. My dad had an issue with alcoholism. My mom kicked him out of the house, and I didn't see him much of my life growing up. But my dad's side of the family was all Mormon. My mom's side of the family was predominantly Jehovah's Witness. That was the situation I found myself in, born into. As I said this morning, I'm definitely a Baptist. You're thinking, what are you doing here? I'm a Baptist, amen? (laughs) I was encouraged to go to church. Actually, my earliest memory, though, was attending a Kingdom Hall, a Jehovah's Witness meeting place, And I remember my feet couldn't even touch the ground. That's how small I was, just kicking my feet in the pew there. He passed around a little glass of juice, and I drank that, and I remember how strong it was. And um, That's my earliest memory in life, in a kingdom hall. I praise God he didn't leave me there. I got saved at the age of 16. A friend invited me to his church, and 
I heard the gospel for the first time, responded to it, and I got saved. The next five years of my life, I, I, it wasn't a Baptist church. I, I, I hadn't gone into a Baptist church until that same friend became a Baptist, became a youth pastor at a church plant. He invited me to his new church. He was so excited about what the Lord was doing in his life. He, he asked me to come, and he kept coming. He was my best friend from sixth grade. His name's Jason, too. Jason kept saying, come on, I want you to come. I want you to see what's going on. The Lord's working. You know, I, I miss you. You need to come, and I'd go. be honest with you, the music was a little bit different than what I was used to. But the pastor opened the King James Bible, and he preached out of the King James Bible. You have to understand how many churches I'd gone through in those five years trying to find a place that I fit into. I've gone to charismatic churches. I've gone to Reformed Methodist churches. I've gone to non-denominational churches. I went to a church that you didn't even need to bring your Bible to church. They had a whole outline of the message with little blanks so you could fill in just to make sure you were awake. And he would use eight or seven or eight different Bible versions within one outline just to prove whatever point he wanted to prove. I sat there looking at how many different Bible versions there were, and I thought, if God gave us his word, I don't think we should have to read eight different books just to find out what he said. I went to that Baptist church, the preacher there handed me the King James Bible. He said, this is the word of God. He said, we believe it from cover to cover. God preserved it. He gave it to you so you would learn it, love it, and live it. My life changed dramatically from that point on. I look back on those five years as wasted years, years of frustration, years of fear, not knowing if I was saved, if I was eternally secure, if I could lose my salvation. Nobody could answer the questions I had because I didn't know that book. The years since then, I have become very well acquainted with this book, and I, 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 I tell you now that I'm, I'm not well acquainted enough, amen? I still I find things in there every single day, and I draw from it deeply each and every day. But we find one of the distinctives of the Baptist church is the fact that when you're a believer, when you get saved, you become a priest. As we find in verse 9, it says you are a royal priest. A royal priest. I don't know what the word royal means to you, but to me it means majesty. To me, it means highness. It means something that is far beyond anything I can attain of my own accord. We are a priest of Jesus Christ. I don't know what your background is. I don't know if you've had uh, any experiences in the Catholic Church or not, but I'm not proposing the priesthood as the Catholic Church would teach it. I'm not, I'm not resembling that in any way, shape, or form. I don't believe that's in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. But today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what being a priest for Jesus Christ is. When I got saved and I joined a Baptist church, I got involved soul winning and I started getting involved in ministry. And, and it's amazing to me how the amount of joy in my life coming from serving God was so much greater than I could find in anything else. I could search entertainment. I could search friendship. I can search all sorts of things, but nothing gave me the joy I had in serving God with my life, sharing my faith with others. Nothing like it. It came to a point where I was 27 years old and God began burdening my heart about missions. Missionaries would come through and they would just speak on what the Lord is doing around the world and I would evaluate my own life and I thought, you know what, I'm not doing enough for God. Have you ever been to that point where you just realize I'm doing more for God than I've ever done in my entire life and it's still not enough? That's a wonderful place to be. That's a place to be so hungry for God and yet satisfied for God that you just want to keep doing more and more and more for God. It wasn't too long till much later that I heard about the need for Bible translation and I felt God calling me to Bible translation and I have never felt more small in my life. If you understood all that I've seen in my life and to think that not only am I unworthy to carry the word of God, but that I could translate it for the very first time, I was completely humbled. 
I felt so small, so unworthy, so insignificant in comparison to carrying that book. And yet God called me to do that very thing. Oftentimes people say, well, I'm not called to missions. I'm not, I'm not called. I'm not going to go. But I want to talk to you today not about what you're called to, but who you are in Jesus Christ. You're a priest. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. Here in first or first Peter chapter two, we find that, but you are a chosen generation. God has chosen us and we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a peculiar people. We ought to be different that we should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have to realize before I was not a child of God, before I didn't have a relationship with God. And yet the greatest thing that the world needs today, some people, yeah, there's all sorts of answers to that. There's all sorts of answers to why are 3,000 languages without the scriptures today? 3,000 languages without a Bible. Could you imagine being born in any one of those 3,000 languages? How much different would your life be? We touched on it this morning. The basis of our civilization is not technology. It's not prosperity. The very basis of our civilization is having God's word in our language so that we can have a relationship with God. It doesn't matter how technologically advanced your country is. It doesn't matter where you're from. If you don't have the word of God, you have no hope of eternal salvation. That's the very basis of being a civilized person is having access to God's word or even more importantly, God's word having access to you. I think the reason, one of the biggest reasons the world has not yet been reached for the name of Jesus Christ is the fact that many people who get saved are not living as priests, Amen. are not living as priests. As I said just a moment ago, the underlying thought really is when you get saved to live for God, to live as though you are saved. And I believe essentially that's what it means to be a, a priest of Jesus Christ. Robert Spear once said, there is nothing in the world or the churches to render the evangelization of the world in this generation an impossibility. Let me fulfill that. I, I missed a little part there. He said, there is nothing in the world or in the churches except our disobedience to render the evangelization of the world in this generation an impossibility. What he's saying is we could reach the entire world in our generation. There is nothing that stops us from doing exactly what God has equipped us to do, what he has commanded us to do and what he desires for us to do, except for not being obedient to the very things God has already provided us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, if you look over in verse 21, we find here just kind of a, a very uh, thought here. For even hereunto, verse 21 of chapter 2, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. I want us to consider the greatest and highest example of how to live as a priest we could ever have. And that's our high priest, Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to look at three sacrifices, three things Jesus Christ did in the book of Hebrews so that he could provide a means of steps that we could look to, that we can actually see and follow in like step. And I want you to consider and to evaluate your own life today as I have needed to in the last week as the Lord laid this on my heart. Which of these three steps have you taken today in the past and in the future? Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus Christ is called our high priest. I could do a lot of comparison and contradiction in terms of Old Testament, New Testament priesthood. There's so many good examples and so many lessons to be learned from the Old Testament, but I want to draw from the book of Hebrews today. 
Jesus Christ sacrifices, three sacrifices or three steps he took so that we could be priests. And once we're saved and we are priests, as 1 Peter 2 said, that we are royal priests, we know which steps we ought to take. All three of these references in Hebrews has one word in it which is really interesting, and it always says seeing Jesus or seeing what he has done. And what the world needs today more than anything is to see us do what we ought to do for Jesus Christ. If there's one thing that I've seen lacking in my own heart and my own life is not seeing the steps taken that I know I should already be taking. We need to be obedient as priests. In the Old Testament, the sons of Eli, two of those sons, were actually very wicked. They took the things from God. The very fat of the sacrifice in the Old Testament was meant only for God. You didn't eat the fat of the sacrifice. That fat was meant to be burnt, and it was a sweet-smelling savor unto God. It was God's. And yet we find the children, the two sons of Eli who were priests, would take that, even the fat thereof, and consume it for their own lusts. And you know what? When God gives us something, if we just take the Bible, for example, and consume it on our own lusts, if we're the only ones who benefit from us having a Bible, we're no better than Eli's sons. We take that which is God's and consume it for our own desires instead of sharing it and using it for the purpose God has provided it for. We see here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, 10, and 11. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. It says, But we see Jesus, our high priest, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Look at this. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? It says here, not only was it uh, their shame, as we find in Hebrews chapter 12, it says here, he died on the cross because there was honor and glory in dying so that he could gather many sons unto himself. He died on the cross so that all men have the option and the availability of becoming saved and becoming the children of God. The very thing that your sin makes impossible in your life, a true relationship with God, God overcame that in the cross. The only way, obviously, to get saved is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't earn your way to heaven. There is no stairway to heaven, friend. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ himself. Today, this message is really pointed towards believers. It's really pointed towards not just getting saved, but living your life as appointed by Jesus Christ. The very steps Jesus Christ did, he's asking you to do in your own life. Here we find him dying on the cross in verse 11. It says, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he was not ashamed to call them brethren. When you get saved and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not just a son of God. He calls you a brother or a sister. You're Jesus Christ's brethren. And yet we find that he tasted death for every man, not just for the sake of his honor and his glory, but he wants many sons to come into his glory. He wants the salvation of all men. That's why the gospel ought to be available and known by all men. Because apart from the gospel, there is no salvation. The first step, the first step that Jesus Christ took was the cross as our high priest. He did that so the first step you would take in your life is to get saved. Are you saved today? I hope so. Because if you don't take the first step, you can't take any step further. Next, we look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. I've said the hearing of the turning of the pages of the Bible is the sweetest sound in church that I have ever heard in my life because I've been where they don't have Bibles. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. We'll read this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, that is passed 
into the heavenlies, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Look in verse 16. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that ye that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. First, we saw the step of the cross, which Jesus provided for our salvation. And now I find this. I, I take the second step, and I call it the cradle. I call it the cradle. The Bible says once we get saved, we're a babe in Christ. We're born again by the Holy Spirit. Now we're like a, a baby spiritually. We're alive now, but we're just a baby. We don't understand the things that a mature Christian understands. The Bible says that we should desire the sincere milk of the word. We should read God's word so we can begin getting the nutrients and the knowledge and the, the understanding of God so we can begin to mature and begin to grow spiritually beyond salvation. It says here in the cradle, we can go to Jesus Christ. We can go to the throne of grace at any time in verse 16 if we need anything, anything of God's mercy, anything of God's grace. It doesn't matter if you're a baby or if you've been saved for 50 years. You have the access to God's throne of grace. You can pray to God for anything. We have an access as a priest of God. We have access to God, which other people do not have. Now, in the, the church body, I, I, there's some things I think I need to clarify quickly. In the Old Testament, if you were a child of Aaron and a Levite, you could be a priest in the house of God, the, the tabernacle or the temple. You would be one serving God. And people would have to come to you and you would intercede on their behalf, taking their sacrifice and offering that blood so that they could have a blood atonement for their sin in the Old Testament. They couldn't do it themselves. They needed a priest to offer for them. In the New Testament, it's similar to that in principle, but very different in application. If somebody gets saved, they don't need anybody to be a priest over them. No longer is there's not a division in the in the body. There's no division in this church where somebody is higher than anybody else. I hope you strike that from your mind. If you think that the things people wear makes them better or worse, you're wrong. If you think the vocabulary they're able to use is makes them more intelligent or more valuable to God, you're absolutely wrong. There's nobody higher than anybody else in this entire room. Except for the person of Jesus Christ. We find here that we have a cradle. We have something that where we could get the very sincere milk of the word. We can go to God with our greatest needs. It doesn't matter what our need is. We have complete access to God no matter where you are. The book of Hebrews has a, a great list of, of uh, uh, how Jesus Christ is better. You'll find the word better repeated over and over again. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Aaron. Jesus is better than the angels himself. And I dare say that being a New Testament priest is much better than being an Old Testament priest. Amen. I don't have to go to a tabernacle or a temple to pray to my God. I can pray to him anywhere I am, and he hears me. I hope you value that. I hope you value that today. By prayer, we find strength and healing of infirmities. We find the ability to endure that which God has called us to. But as priests, are you trusting in God's ability to provide today? 1 Kings chapter 8, you don't have to turn there. It's the dedication of... Solomon, who's a king at the time, the son of David. He had just built the temple, a miraculous, a beautiful building, probably the most beautiful building ever constructed in my mind. The temple of Solomon, the place that people would come and offer those sacrifices where walls are paved in gold and ivory and there's uh, such sketches and, and etching and, and sculptures produced that are just absolutely breathtaking if you could be there. The highest people who were there, the most necessary people, were the priests who would intercede on the behalf of those who did not have access to God. And yet in 1 Kings chapter 8, 
Solomon tells us exactly what the purpose of that entire building was. And you know what the purpose of the temple was, according to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8? It's so that they could pray to God and God would hear their prayers. They constructed that entire temple, millions, and today would have been billions of dollars of expense to build a structure where the name of Jesus Christ could be placed, where the very presence of God would be, so that they could pray to God himself. After all that expense and all that, they worshiped God because now they could pray to a place and God would see and hear their prayers. You don't need a temple. You don't need a recantation. You don't need to memorize a series of words to say. You can speak your heart to God at any moment. Jesus Christ took the step of the cross and then he provided a way of a cradle and by means of growing that we can grow in the knowledge of him. And thirdly, we find in Hebrews chapter 7, very quickly, what I call the crop. We have the cross, the cradle, and then the crop. We find in Hebrews chapter 7 our intercessor, which is Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20, 24, let's read there. It says, but this man, because he continueth ever, Jesus Christ will never die again. He is the everlasting Son of God, hath an unchangeable priesthood. For the rest of eternity, Jesus Christ is your priest. He's your high priest. And it says here in verse 25 what it is he does and why he does. It says, wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ, right now, you know what Jesus Christ is doing right now according to that verse and in Romans chapter 8? Right now, Jesus Christ is praying, sitting by the right hand of God the Father, interceding, praying for your benefit. Not only that, in Romans chapter 8, we find that the Holy Spirit also prays for us. We have Jesus Christ himself interceding on our behalf because we can't intercede on our own. Amen. There's a world filled with people who have no access to God. And if nobody will go and intercede on their half and on behalf of God so that they too can put their faith in Jesus Christ, they have no hope, no chance, no understanding of God. I can tell you today that there are over 3 billion people alive who have never heard a Bible, never seen a Bible, and know nothing of Jesus Christ. What the world needs today are more priests who are willing to intercede and simply to share the gospel that we've been given. I was saved because somebody was a priest to me, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. And that day, I became a priest myself. Amen. Jesus Christ took the step of the cross so we could be saved and that he could be our high priest. And then we find also the cradle that we have the comfort of prayer that is provided every priest. Lastly, we find that there is a crop here that is spoken of in verse 25, when it says that he may be also to save them to the uttermost. I could speak of those who are saved, saying he can save you to the uttermost ends, no matter what you do. But the word uttermost used in the Bible oftentimes is used in conjunction with missions verses. We are called to preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we find the word uttermost. We ought to go to the uttermost, the furthest places of the earth, to share the gospel. We have an example given of this prayer in John chapter 17. I think I'll end with this point here. And I hope you'll look at what Jesus Christ may be praying even this very moment. This is one example of Jesus Christ praying on this earth found in John chapter 17. Pastor Alter actually mentioned John 17 this morning during Sunday school, and I thought he was going to take my whole message. I didn't answer a question a certain way, and then he went ahead with John 17, and I was just, you got you to smile at the pastor, Amen. 
get a smile at the pastor. But we find the reasons that God gave us his words. The reasons you have a Bible are found in John chapter 17. Let's look first here in verse 8 through 10. Number one, there are three people that Jesus Christ prays for. Three people Jesus Christ prays for. John chapter 17, verse 8 says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. The thing that God the Father gave Jesus Christ is the same thing Jesus Christ has given to us. Amen. That's wonderful. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. That's the first people he prays for, those who are saved. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Now, that doesn't sound like a good missionary emphasis there, does it? <laughs> Jesus Christ says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine. Everything Jesus Christ has is God the Father's. And thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. Jesus Christ should be glorified in us. Jesus Christ is praying for you today that he would get the glory in your life. Some person once said that the ultimate chief end of missions is the salvation of souls. And I, I beg to differ. The chief end and purpose of missions is the glory of God. God is glorified in our salvation. God is glorified as we live for Him. God is glorified when we share the gospel with others. But He is not glorified in so many things we don't like to admit or talk about. As priests, there is little room for sin in our life. There is little room for sin in our life. We find, firstly, he prays not for this world, but for those that were given unto him. Let's look at in verse 14 and 15. It says this even again. It says, I have given them thy word. Again, it is repeated. And the word hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus Christ identifies us with him. Amen. Jesus Christ is a high priest. And what does he desire us to be? A priest as well. When you get saved, Jesus Christ is calling you into the very work that he himself is doing today. The very thing he does for us. He intercedes on our behalf. He prays for us. What is the greatest gift and the greatest function of a priest is to pray for those who need salvation. For those who are saved who need help. And to pray for those who have never heard. Jesus Christ first prays not for the world, but he prays for those who are his very own. He prays for the church. In verse 15, it says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. You ever wonder why after you got saved, God didn't just catch you up to heaven right away? Wouldn't it be easier? I'll tell you why you should wonder that. No, I'm just kidding. It says, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. It says, the thing that should separate us from the rest of the world that should make us different than anybody else is in verse 17. It says, sanctify them, separate them, make them different, make them a peculiar people. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If there is anything God is going to use to change you, it's going to be this book. I hope you cherish that book. Secondly, we find a group of people found in verse 20. In verse 20, it says, Neither pray I for these alone. He doesn't just pray for those who are saved, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Just as God the Father gave Jesus Christ words, and Jesus Christ de delivered those to the apostles, and the apostles to the disciples, and the disciples through the church from ages and ages to you. Delivered the very words of God to you for what purpose? So that you would give it to somebody else. When is the last time you were able to share the gospel with somebody unsaved? How long has it been? 
Thirdly, we find in verse 21 the third group of people that Jesus Christ prays for. We ought to pray for them as well. It says that they all may be one, speaking of us, both those who will be saved and those who are saved. Now, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Look at this here, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. If we don't share the word of God, will the world ever hear? No. We see it today. It's the most realistic statistic you can ever hear is how many people are not saved, how many people don't have a Bible, how many people have never heard, how many people will die in the next day having never heard the gospel because people aren't going to them. You understand in the Old Testament, everybody would gather to Jerusalem. I mentioned 1 Kings chapter 8. I highly recommend you read that chapter. It's a very wonderful chapter. But Solomon says, not only for the children of Israel to come and to be able to pray, he said, even strangers, those not the children of Israel, can come to this place and pray to God so that he can hear their prayers as well. In the Old Testament, you know where you'd have to go to pray to God? Jerusalem. You would have to go to a location even to meet with the presence of God. But as a priest, we have access to God through prayer, and we have access to the presence of God at any point at any time. We need to walk in that presence. We need to walk in prayer. That's why God says pray without ceasing. There are so many people to pray for, not only those who are saved, but those who will be saved. Don't even pray for those who will be saved. Pray for those who have never heard before. It says here that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Are you interceding as a priest for somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ today? Out of those three steps, which of those three steps are you following? Have you been born again? I hope you have. If you've been born again, have you been drinking the sinful milk of the word of God today? Thirdly, are you interested in the crop of God? Are you interested in reaching the world for the glory of Jesus Christ? There are three steps that we should take in our lives. Most importantly, we should make sure that all three of those steps are accounted for every day of our life. As I mentioned, I wasted five years of my life trying to find out more about God. And the reason I didn't learn anything about God is because I didn't have a connection. I didn't have access to this book. Cherith and I go to a place to be able to open this book and to share the goodness of God with them. To tell them that God is not just a righteous judge, but He is a gracious God. A good God. A merciful God. A loving God. But He is still a just God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much.